This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. It's episode 722. This week, we welcome Pete Consigli, John Isaacson, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick or the Word of Life Church case study in Cape Coral, Florida, from severe wind and water damage to commercial roof. Getting paid in the Sunshine State is not easy. You got some notes on that one? That's yeah. Ken Siders, by the way, who's also yeah. been on the show. Yeah, I, I think that they provide a very unique service, which is, you know, they go and they assess a building from the foundation uh, to the roof. And I think it served them well in this particular project. And they they uh, they document cause and effect, and they investigate both pre-existing and latent damage conditions. Uh, one of the, the other takeaways was you have to consider your clients very carefully because if you're having problems at the beginning of the job with the client, that's a pretty strong indication that you're going to have problems at the end of the job uh, yep. with, with the client. Uh, one of the things I thought was brilliant was that they were working in Florida and they utilized an office in California to handle all of their paperwork, the estimates and, and, you know, you know, the office stuff. And then they went even further away. They went to Hawaii and they would send all this information from the office to Hawaii because there were these delays, you know, from, from the East coast to the West coast, it's three hours. And I don't know what is another five hours from the West coast to Hawaii. So they were actually able by doing that to have estimates ready to deliver and documents ready to deliver the following morning, which uh, probably no one else would have been when they been able to do uh, the importance of good documentation and, and record keeping, because one of the things that they didn't realize was there was a foam, three inches of foam underneath the roof that foam actually was holding a tremendous amount of water and they were actually drying the inside of the building with desiccant humidifiers and some of the building materials were actually getting wetter uh, as they went and there was actually a meeting uh, within the building and all of a sudden it started it was like a hose uh, was in the ceiling and wetting everything and you know they were able to because they had the documentation they were to, able to go back and, and prove what it actually had happen but those were some of my takeaways i think ken talked a little bit about that project on the show he was on with us too cliff yes he did john john yeah i think uh what do you say don't do spot inspections you got to think of the building as a machine and then set up zones so that you can um uh part of this presentation was just kind of the methodology that they used to make sure that they got as as complete of a picture as as possible I think his comment on um, the client, I never regretted, I never regretted a job that I didn't get, but there are plenty that I, one that I regretted taking on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, pay attention to those red flags. And I did think it was really interesting. I think comments to people that start doing storm work, especially if they're new to it is set up an anchor, you know, so maybe that first project. Uh, once you restored or are in the process of use that as a base of operations for your team. And then, and then, like you said, Cliff, the, uh, but I think even that's, uh, that, that application for storm work is what a lot of companies are using is centralizing certain operations, you know, so not every office needs to have maybe an estimator or somebody that's doing the program compliance, but you can 
streamline some of that to, to help even your daily operations, not just storm operations. So that was good. But uh, John Bachman, business development advisor, Violin Management, the state of the industry on software integration and best practices for estimating and documentation in the property restoration and insurance damage repair industry, a huge topic in this current era. Yep. Uh, I, I think that one of the cool things about Josh is that he spoke about this from a software development perspective. Uh, he had had some experience actually in developing uh, some software for a company uh, for whom he worked. So, you know, he, he kind of had hands-on experience with it. Uh, he talked about a maturing industry, talked about market saturation and oversaturation with software he said there's just so much software and he said there's one solution uh versus specialization uh that you know some software is the jack of all trades but doesn't do any of them really really well uh and then you can have specialized software that does one thing but does it really really well um and he said does integration really exist and then he talked about CoreLogic and Circle, PSA, the Data Hub. And uh, he said that an influx of capital into these products hasn't really improved the products. He says there's confusion, there's frustration, and that software technology is not a destination. He hmm. said it's rather it's something to work towards. He said yesterday's differentiator is today's commonplace and tomorrow's <laughs> left behind. And yeah. uh, you know, I don't know how you stuff. guys do it in the restoration world. There is so much new stuff out there, and it, it, it's just it's mind boggling to me, John. Uh, yeah, is it the four C's of documentation consistent, clear, concise, and clean? Um, it was it was a great, great presentation. So, Melissa Hastings is a perspective as a director of contact. Contract relations in TPA in the T I guess that's third party uh, groups and then Ramona Gallagher. You guys got a couple quick comments on those? Yeah, I do. Um, he was a public Hastings, adjuster, by the way. Melissa Hastings uh, has a deep restoration uh, background. You know, the family she was in the restoration industry. Her family's been in the restoration industry for a long time, so she knows. Uh, the restoration industry from the inside out. And she went to work for this company called AccuServe Solutions, which is a merger of several uh, programs, Code Blue, uh, you know, being one of them. And um, she has a different approach. Uh, you know, she wants to do the right thing for restoration companies because she was one or she considers herself one. And I think she has a different perspective and you know she's looking for input and uh you know she's looking for people to get involved in their program to kind of try it out and uh you know to build you know to build goodwill you know her job is to improve the contractor and policyholder experience so that's a, that's a pretty good and exciting mission i think um let's see um you know, she's looking for more opportunities to work together with the restoration industry. She was a speaker down at RIA. Uh, you know, she was a speaker here. I think, um, you know, she's honest. She comes across 
you know, very well and, and very sympathetic. So I think that, you know, I think she deserves a chance. And again, you know, like in every field, there's good guys and bad guys. And I think we need some good guys in these third party programs. And uh, maybe there were, maybe there were, it's at. Go on. Uh, yeah, I, I, she seemed very optimistic. She seemed like, um, you know, she has a good vision and those kinds of things. I think she's got an uphill battle with that company in particular and the, the companies in the fold. So it'll be interesting to see how much change she can affect. Um, the one comment I'll say that she did make, you know, a lot of people bag on TPAs. And if you look at the the fee structure and those kinds of things, I believe she said um, it's one of the best marketing tools you can use as a contractor. And so if you view it from that standpoint, there's um, potentially some benefits there, um, I, which I thought was a good point. Made me think so. All right. Cliff, any any more from that presentation? Let's see. Uh was anyone else there? I'm Ramona trying. Gallagher, Great okay. Estates Inventory. Yeah, licensed public adjuster. Yeah, I got stuff from from Ramona. Uh, yeah, her company's called Great Estates. Uh, she's a personal property expert. She's been around it for for forty years. Her background uh, was originally in retail. I think she sold clothing and uh, you know high end uh, luxury items. So she's very very familiar with that stuff. Um, she got into the industry uh, preparing inventories for clients and preparing them for public adjusters. And then she decided that she was going to uh, uh, become one. Uh, she mentioned that many of the uh, known labels like Ralph Lauren or Hermes or uh, et cetera, have different qualities, Louis Vuitton, et cetera, that they have a good one, they have a better one, and they have a best one. And, you know, it's from the tags, you can tell, you know, you know, which are which. Uh, the uh, importance of being able to identify uh, what you're dealing with. Is it is it a replica? Uh, is it fake? Uh, you know, or is it real? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, handbags out there women spend just tremendous i mean they, they they some women spend as much as a car costs on a on a on a day bag or a purse wow. so uh it's important to know and you know ways you can tell is by looking at the zipper uh poor poor stitching uh you know the hardware and so on and so forth uh it's important to know who to call and when to call specialized experts uh some antiques have provenance uh the, that's a little story that kind of goes along with them the history of the item uh sometimes you need specialized appraisers um reasons for bringing in an expert um part of her job is to prepare uh, also a total loss inventory and to value that as well so you know determine restoration uh and she doesn't do cleaning you know, she will get involved in like refinishing and, you know, higher end, maybe reupholstering and that sort of stuff. But she really does not get involved in cleaning. Uh, she uses a subcontractor for that. Uh, you know, she, you know, she'll adjust uh, that portion of the claim, you know, represent the policyholder. Uh, it's important to understand, uh, you know, the insurance policy if you're acting or if you're going to be a public adjuster, you have to understand 
the types of policies and the declaration page and the types of values and different types of coverages, et cetera. And, uh, you know, the approach is unique uh, based upon each job that you would be doing. John, you got anything to add? Um, I was looking back through. Uh, it was interesting. She had a diagram on, like you said, Cliff, the different um, even brands, like say under Ralph Lauren. So knowing the different, not every Ralph Lauren is the same, you know, knowing the difference between the values in each of those items was important. Um, it was good, good overall presentation. And we don't always think about contents and what, right. you know, the, right. the, the depth uh, of that. So. All right. Let's wrap it up with Andrew Saul, the business interruption guy, Cliff. We just had Andrew on not too long ago. Yeah, we did. We did. And uh, Andy talked about the invisible claim, which is, uh, business interruption and the importance of situational awareness, uh, threat recognition, uh, action, and that you know time is time is valuable, and that you know some a business interruption can be a hard claim, can be difficult to document, and uh, you know while you're trying to do this, you're hemorrhaging cash because you don't have any money coming in. Your mm -hmm. you know, your business is brought to a screaming halt. Uh, that there, you have to be able to realize the the threat based on uh, the size of your business interruption claim, uh, and that the insurance company will not pay business interruption without proper documentation. And uh, you need, and what he does is he has developed a, a proprietary model, and he takes your information and he interviews you and he kind of understands your business and the ins and outs of it. And then he can enter these numbers, uh, you know, into his model. He says the insurance companies do the same thing, but they just have a standard model and it doesn't recognize the idiosyncrasies in one business uh, versus another. And he talked about, you know, the I actually asked him about the molasses case and uh, you know, where this, uh, molasses was in a uh, storage tank at a uh, facility that also stored uh, fuels and oils, motor oils and so on and so forth. And that they originally felt that the loss was going to be about $160,000. And the uh, storage facility insurance company didn't realize that molasses is a food product and that the tank that it was in was a special tank for holding food products and that everything uh, for transporting that material had to be, you couldn't use, uh, you know, the standard piping and fittings and so on and so forth that they use to pump in and pump out motor oil or kerosene or, uh, you know, petroleum products. And actually he ended up collecting close to a million dollars for his client in that particular situation. Wow. And, and just by explaining why there, why this had to be done. And, uh, you know, he's a very interesting guy. So John, he's, oops, he's in ahead, a little, no, I'm just saying he's in a little niche that yes. he fills very well. Wait, John, so anything you'd like to add? I make the invisible visible so the claim can be quantified and compensated. Well said. 